Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring an offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the word as we look at it together. Well, good morning. I also want to welcome you to Big Valley Grace Community Church. Welcome to everybody who's right here in the room, in the worship center, here on the Modesto campus. And welcome to everybody who's joining us live right now on our online campus. We're glad to be in whatever room you're in. We're glad to be with you. If it's your first time here, we want you to know we are so glad that you are at Big Valley Grace Community Church today. We're really glad to have you here. We hope that today's a great encouragement. Thank you, my friend. I want to begin today by sharing a little bit of an update about an event that took place and then also uh, a little bit that's going on in my own life. And I'll start with, with the event. Yesterday, we had an incredible event. It was called Kicks for Kids. And it was in partnership with another church in town called The House and our local reach partner, the Modesto Gospel Mission. I wanna share with you some stats from this event. First, there were 805 pairs of shoes that were donated by our Big Valley Grace Community Church family, which is incredible. And every one of those pairs of shoes, the gospel was placed in the shoes and they were placed in a bag. You can see pictures of those. So incredible job, church family, donating shoes. There were 964 parents and kids who came into the area that was the Kicks for Kids area at the event yesterday at the Modesto Gospel Mission. And it was a one-way-in, one-way-out area. And so as these parents and kids came in, they got shoes. And then there was a team that was ready on the exit, and 753 people were prayed for after getting shoes yesterday, which is totally incredible. And as far as we know, there was at least six who made a decision for Christ, prayed for by our church family. Isn't that cool? Now, this, this took place because there was 53 people from Big Valley Grace who went down there yesterday to serve and all of you who donated those 805 pairs of shoes. So what an incredible event. What a very, very bright spot in Modesto yesterday was at that Kicks for Kids event, shining so brightly for the gospel and for Jesus Christ. So great job to all. It's a pleasure to be in partnership with the house in this event and with our local reach partner, the Modesto Gospel Mission. So Great job, Big Valley Grace. Really, really excited for that. Really, really cool. You know, we're coming to the end of summer. We've been in the Gospel of Mark. We're bringing the Gospel of Mark series to a close today. You know, school's starting up. And one of the things that my wife and I do regularly is we evaluate how things are going in our family. And this is a big season of change for us. 
We have, at this time, three kids who are heading off to college. In fact, today is the last day I got my three big boys all together with me in church because the first one heads out Wednesday. And as my wife and I have considered that, you know, we're only going to have six kids at the house now. So as we considered that, you know, what might God have us do to invest in our family during this season? And, and we kind of led to two places, you know. In, in our home, we've got what we call the dorm room. It's these four men. They've been in that room together for five years. And three of them are going to be away at college. So we got one 15-year-old. And I went to him and I said, hey, you know, the bro squad's breaking up. And we understand that. And so what I thought was maybe you and I, you know, we could spend some time together regularly. And my thought was maybe we could go to men's ministry together. And much to my surprise, my 15-year-old was like, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea, Dad. I was like, no takebacks. So <laughs> our men's ministry meets Monday morning on our series campus and Monday night right here on the Modesto campus and Tuesday morning on the Modesto campus. So my 15-year-old son, we're, we're going to go Tuesday mornings and we're going to come to men's ministry. And the whole reason is just as a dad, I want to make an investment in my, you know, my 15-year-old son. Well, we also have... The, we call them the triplets. They're not actually triplets, but we have three kids that are within 14 months of each other. You do the math and figure that one out. So we have two 10-year-olds and a nine-year-old. So I went to the triplets and I said, hey, what would be something that would be good for us to do this next year? And they said, we want to be a part of Wednesday night kids ministry. We want to be a part of BBG Kids on Wednesday night, the recharge ministry. And I said, okay. So I call up our children's pastor, Pastor Aaron Youngman, and I said, hey, I'm a dad, and I got kids, and they want to come and be a part of the ministry. Is there a way for a dad to participate? And so he pointed me to the information that's on the screen, which is bbg.org news. So I went to there, and I found an application. And it's a one, it was this one-page application. It was super simple on the website. It explained all the information for the commitment and everything I was getting myself into. I knew exactly what I was doing. I was an informed decision here. It took like less than 60 seconds to fill out the application and less than two minutes to fill out a background check, and I sent it off. And then I got an email right away from Pastor Aaron. Hey, I got, you know, I got your application, and I'm really excited. I'm going to call you, and we're going to talk about it. So Pastor Aaron called me. And I shared with them, hey, you know, I want to serve. And, and I talk about, you know, hey, there's a couple dates I'm not going to be able to be available because I'm working and then I'll be on vacation. But, you know, I really want to serve with my kids. I just want to spend time with my kids and, and serve with them. And so, so I did that. So the reason that I'm sharing it with you is because maybe this would be a moment for you to consider what, what's an investment you're going to make. How are you going to maybe invest in a, in a younger generation? in a younger generation in our church. And real specifically, I just want to extend a call to the men of our church. And I want to invite the men of our church to consider during this season how you will make an investment in a younger person. How God might use you as one of the men of the church family to make an investment. And I extend that challenge and that, you know, and that encouragement to you, but it's between you and the Lord what, what God might lead you to do. But I would, I would really encourage you to consider it. How might God use you as, as, a, as a godly man to maybe help you know, the younger generation and really invest in the younger generation of our church? So I, I share that with you and, and, and you and the Lord. You, you, do that, you do that together, however you and the Lord, how God would lead you. 
In addition to that, I just want to share with you that we've been continuing to try and resource our church family in a number of ways. And this last week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Pastor Todd Honeycutt. He is our global reach partner to Slovenia. He's been living in Hungary. It's positioned him to have really an incredible impact regarding the war in Ukraine. And I sat down with him and interviewed him about his experience. We've made that available on a YouTube channel. You just type in my name, Joel Boone on YouTube, and you'll see the channel we built there. It's got a lot of videos, but I would really encourage you to check it out. It's really quite amazing to hear about his experience and how his life has been impacted and his ministry has been impacted with opportunities regarding the war since he's right there in the vicinity. Um, and so take advantage of that, all of that. All of what I've shared here is just to, to be encouragement to you, you know, that God would continue to help us take the steps as a church family to really be, to really be the church family that he wants us to be. So take those opportunities and may the Lord lead you in them. Well, we're gonna finish up our time in the Gospel of Mark today. We're gonna be in chapters 15 and 16. We've been reading through the Gospel of Mark and yesterday actually finished our reading plan for the Gospel of Mark. And if, if you haven't been with us reading through the Gospel of Mark, I got great news for you. Today I'm actually gonna read some verses right from the Gospel of Mark. And so you're gonna end well today, all right? We're gonna end together. But for, I hope for the majority of us as a church family that you've really enjoyed reading the Gospel of Mark. It's been an incredible time this summer to focus on one gospel and to read through it together as a church family. And I hope that you have enjoyed taking advantage of that. As we think about life, life is a series of moments. I think we can all really see that easily. It's just a series of moments, moment, 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 moment. And what's really interesting is we can have one of two perspectives. The first is that we see life as a series of opportunities. Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Or you may have the perspective that you see life as a series of obstacles. Obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And you know the, really the difference between seeing life as a series of opportunities or a series of obstacles is really your perspective. It's really what's going on inside you that's causing you to see it one way or the other. But life does have issues that arise, problems that occur. And as we look at the text today, we're going to look at a Roman official, his name is Pilate, who faced the greatest problem of his life. And it was, what was he going to do with Jesus? And he tries to solve this greatest problem by asking five questions. And we're gonna look at those five questions as they arise in the text. And as we look at these five questions, my encouragement to you is to really consider these five questions for what's going on in your own life. That you'd allow these five questions even to be asked about your own life. That God might use our time in the word today to be instructive and informative for you about what he might wanna to speak to you about you. So in verse one of chapter 15, it says, as soon as it was morning, and what it's referring to is the context. The day before, Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples. Then he was in the garden praying, and he was arrested by the religious leaders. And then the religious leaders put him through a, a bunch of messed up trials. And now it's morning time. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. So the religious leaders are coming together to make a decision. It says they bound Jesus and they led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. So the religious leaders had done their process and they were finished with their process and really what they wanted as an outcome is they wanted to kill Jesus but they couldn't do it. 
So that authority was with the Roman government. So now they're bringing Jesus to the Roman government because they have a goal in mind and that is to kill Jesus. So they'll come to the first question that we'll look at in the text. And the question is this, who are you? And in this one, Pilate asked this question to Jesus. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, I was in a building that we have on campus here. It's called the Venue Building now. It used to be called the Youth Activity Center. And I can remember walking into the Youth Activity Center and there was a, uh, an adult male leader who met me at the door and he looked at me and he said, who are you? Joel. And he asked again, who are you? Joel. He said, I didn't ask what your name was. I asked, who are you? And being the polite teenage boy that I was, I said, well, who are you? <laughs> and he said, I'm a child of God, and you better figure out who you are. Wow, that has stuck with me my whole life. I'm a child of God, and you better figure out who you are. Incredible. What a great encouragement to give to a punk kid. Me, I was the punk kid. So we look back at the text. Pilate asks Jesus, are you? He's wanting to know, who are you? Are you the king of the Jews? Is that who you are? That's what the rumor is. That's what people are saying. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered Pilate, you've said so. So Jesus' response is, you've said it yourself. You're saying I'm the king of the Jews. You've said it yourself. And when Jesus says this, it says the chief priests accused him of many things. The religious leaders get really upset in this moment. They're really angry. They're angry that Jesus is saying he's the king of the Jews. They're angry that Jesus is saying he's the son of God, that God the Father is his father. And they're so mad because they see him as blasphemous because here a mere man, in their perspective, a mere man is making himself equal with God. And they were so upset. You know, as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark together, in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, there was a moment that is so pivotal. I, I call it a hinge. It's where the Gospel of Mark really hinges wide open. It's at the end of chapter 8. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? His disciples told him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, one of the prophets. And he, he asked his disciples, But who do you say that I am? And Peter, he always liked to be first. He was kind of the leader. He liked to speak up. He said, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. What a defining moment in the life of Peter. What a defining moment for the, 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 the disciples in this moment. It's a defining moment in the gospel of Mark. You're the Christ. It's a defining moment in our life when we recognize that Jesus is the Christ. And Pilate looks at Jesus and says, who are you? Who are you? We should consider that. The second question he asks is, how do you respond? How do you respond? You know, I've noticed a pattern in my life. And the pattern in my life kind of goes like this. Something will happen, and I'll have a reaction, and my first reaction isn't quite the best. I'll take a step back, regroup, and I'll have an opportunity for a second reaction and the second reaction is a little bit better. Maybe you can relate. 
And I've thought, what's the difference between those two reactions? And it's time. It's time. Because in the first reaction, it's just a gut reaction from my flesh, and it's usually not the best. But when I am patient and wait and take a moment and allow there to be a second reaction, it's time for the Holy Spirit of God to help me in that moment respond in the way that I should. And in this moment, Pilate asked Jesus, basically, how do you respond? He says in verse four, Pilate began to ask him, have you no answer to make? Here they're accusing you. Have you no answer to make? And see how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't get really angry. He doesn't lash out. He doesn't say anything. And it says that Pilate was amazed that here all these people are accusing him and Jesus makes no response. Why was Pilate amazed? Well, I think the scriptures talk about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. In other words, Pilate does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to Pilate. And Pilate is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so here he is, amazed that Jesus wouldn't say anything. It says, now the feast, at the feast, he, Pilate, used to release for them, the crowd, one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. In other words, don't release Jesus, because we want to kill him. Release this evil guy, the murderer. Now, what I find, I'm going to come back to the fact that Jesus made no answer. He said, how do you respond? He made no answer. You know, when I see that this is a moment that Jesus was in, it was an incredibly stressful moment. Incredibly stressful. The government is all over him. The religious leaders are all over him. People are accusing him. It said that they had already had hit him and spat on him. And a beating further is coming. High stress moment. High tension moment. And what I find is interesting is in a high stress, high tension moment, he makes no comment. And I think it's because he's at peace. He's at peace even in the middle of that moment. Because he's at peace being right in the middle of the will of his father God. In that high stress, high tension moment, he's at peace. What I also notice about Jesus is he's patient. In the middle of high stress, high tension moment, people are accusing him. He doesn't respond with gut reactions and lash out. He is patient and he waits. What I also notice about Jesus in this very high stress, high tension moment is that he exhibits incredible self-control. He's in control of his person in this moment. And when I see Jesus in this moment and I see that he has peace and patience and self-control, you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. Here, the Son of God is in the middle of the will 
of the Father God and the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God is so clearly and visibly seen. You know, I would like to respond like Jesus responds. I would like for that to be the way that I respond. When things get tense, stress comes up, that I might respond in the way of Jesus. Question number two was how do you respond? Question number three is what do you want? What do you want? This is a question of vision, direction, desire. What do you want the result of your life to be? You know, I really think that if people would just take some time to consider their life, what they really want, like really want for their life, and have that be lined up with Jesus Christ, that it would prevent people from making so many dumb decisions in day-to-day life. To really just consider what is it you actually want? What is it you actually want for your life? And have that be lined up with Jesus and how that would protect us in day-to-day decision-making. In verse nine, it says, and he answered them saying, so Pilate is now talking to the crowd, do you want, so he's asking, what do you want? Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he, Pilate, perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him, Jesus, up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd. You know, I had an employer once tell me, Joel, you remind me of a part in a washing machine. And because I was not aware of what the parts of a washing machine are, I then replied, what part of the washing machine do I remind you of? And he said, you're an agitator. (laughs) Thank you, boss. Thank you. We see the religious leaders in this moment. They're stirring it up. They're going into the crowd. And they're stirring up the crowd. And what they're stirring up the crowd to do is to have Pilate release Barabbas instead of Jesus. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do? He's asking again, what do you want? What shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? What do you want? You know, this is the same question that Jesus would ask people. Jesus asked people, what do you want all the time? He would say, what do you want? People would respond with, well, I want to walk. Or I want to see. Or I want you to heal my child. What's incredible about the question, what do you want, is when it's answered honestly, it reveals the condition of the heart. And if you were to answer the question, what do you want? If you were to answer it honestly right now, it would reveal the condition of your heart. The third question is, what do you want? The fourth question is, why are you doing this? And this is really a question of motivation. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of of him to whom we must give an account. The living word of God, Jesus Christ, is face to face with Pilate and is exposing the intentions of Pilate's heart. The living word of God, Jesus Christ, is face to face with the religious leaders in the crowd and he's exposing in this moment everyone's intentions, everyone's motivations, what's really going on in people's hearts. In verse 13, and they cried out again, so this is the crowd crying out, crucify him. 
And Pilate said to him, why? What's your motivation? What, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more. This is a picture of people digging their heels into sin. Grabbing on to sin and holding on to sin as tight as they can. And they yell out, crucify him. They are screaming for murder. And what I find hard to believe is to watch people scream for murder. And it's hard for me to understand that in my country right now, there are people who literally have been screaming for murder. It's so hard for me to, to understand and wrap my brain around that that would be the desire of someone's heart. That's what they want. They want murder. Verse 15, so Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd. And in that statement right there, wishing to satisfy the crowd, we see the intention, his heart is revealed. Pilate's heart is opened wide up by the scriptures and the word of God. One, that's what he wanted. He wanted to please the crowd. You know, we've addressed this in Mark chapter seven, verse 20. And Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. So whatever's inside is what's gonna come out. And Pilate acts out of his true nature in this, in this choice he makes. He makes a choice to please the crowd and to reject Jesus. And that choice right there is the choice everyone has to make, is what are you gonna do with Jesus? What are you gonna do with Jesus? In Psalm 17, verse 15, it says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness, and when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Pilate, right here in this moment, is beholding Jesus. He's beholding the face of Jesus, but he does it in unrighteousness. He's right in the front of the likeness of Jesus, but he is not satisfied with Jesus. Pilate, then, wishing to satisfy the crowd, he released for them Barabbas, the murderer. And having scourged Jesus, so that is beating Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified. You know, what will I do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? There's really no bigger question to figure out in life than what will we do with Jesus? Why do you do what you do? You know, the actions that we take, they reveal the motivations of our heart. Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, 45. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever has been invested into our life is what is going to come out of our life. And as we think about the vision for our church, that we might actually love the people who are around us, to love your actual neighbor. When we think about that, accomplishing that vision, what am I storing up in my heart regarding the people around me? Am I storing up bitterness and hatred towards the people around me? Or am I storing up love and compassion and grace and forgiveness towards the people who are around me? You know, God wants to use my life to get the gospel out. God wants to use your life to get the gospel out. That includes our neighbors. It includes the people who are around us. What deposits am I making in my heart, storing up in my heart, that they can come out when given the opportunity to represent Jesus Christ. Our passage and our story continues. We're gonna skip forward to verse 42. It says, when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. So Joseph is ready for the opportunity. Joseph is looking for the opportunity. It says that he took courage. 
Because even when we've stored up good stuff in our heart and an opportunity is presented, we still have to be brave and take a step of faith and trust God to take, take the opportunity to ourselves. And he says he took courage and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. What an incredible opportunity that this man who had been looking for the kingdom of God, storing up the good stuff of God in his heart, an opportunity presents itself and he has the privilege of taking care of the body of Jesus. Incredible. Incredible. Now, this leads us to question number five. When did this happen? When did this happen? And this is a question of surprise. And Pilate is really surprised. He's surprised to hear that Jesus should have already died. And so he summons the centurion and he asks the centurion whether Jesus was already dead. You see, Jesus died not on the timeline of the Jews. Jesus didn't die on the timeline of the crowd. Jesus didn't die on the timeline of the Roman government. Jesus died on the timeline of the will of God the Father. And Pilate's surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that Jesus was already dead, he then granted the corpse to Joseph. And so Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking Jesus down, wrapped Jesus in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. So you have three people, Joseph, Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of Joseph. They're all there. They're all ready for the opportunity and they get to be a part of this incredible moment. The burial of Jesus, incredible. Now, what I find really interesting is that Pilate, the Roman official, he's got at his disposal all of the resources of the Roman government. And he faces this incredible problem, this great problem. And he asks these questions and he interviews all these people. But the bottom line is that Pilate failed. Pilate failed to solve the greatest problem. But one of the soldiers in his employ he solved it. And if we go back in the story to verse 37, it says at the time when Jesus died, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. This is a really thick curtain that's really big curtain. You just imagine the size of the hands that are tearing this temple curtain. Just think about that. This massively thick, huge curtain being torn from top to bottom. What big hands reached down and tore that? And when the centurion who stood facing him, Jesus, saw that in this way he breathed his last, the soldier who's there is looking, seeing Jesus die. He says, truly, this man was the son of God. One person figures it out. It's the soldier who witnesses Jesus die. He figures out this man truly was the son of God. One person does not figure it out. It's the Roman official who has all of these resources at his disposal and all of these people he's interviewing and asking questions, and he doesn't get it. What's the difference? Well, I think the difference is the soldier simply submitted to the witness of Jesus in front of him. And Pilate rejected Jesus. And that's the difference. And those are the two responses. You either submit to the witness of Jesus or you reject Jesus. So what is this greatest problem? Well, the greatest problem is the sin of unbelief. The greatest problem any of us will ever face is the sin of unbelief in Jesus Christ. 
And we actually see this arise as a theme really strong at the end of the Gospel of Mark. And in, you know, rapid succession, the sin of unbelief is mentioned. And I'm going to read to you those verses at the end of chapter 16. It says in verse 11, but when they, the disciples, heard that he, Jesus, was alive and they had been seen by her, Mary, they would not believe it. Sin of unbelief. Verse 13, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Sin of unbelief. Verse 14, and afterward he had appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them. Why? For their unbelief, the sin of unbelief, and the hardness of their heart, because they had not believed, the sin of unbelief, those who had saw him, Jesus, after he had risen from the dead. You know, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, this is kind of explained to us in chapter 6, verse 52. It says that the disciples didn't understand because of the hardness of their heart. And the sin of unbelief and the hardness of heart are best friends. And they hang out all the time. The sin of unbelief and hardness of heart. In verse 15, it says, He, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And then there's two types of people. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe the sin of unbelief will be condemned. Two groups of people. They're going to believe in Christ or they're going to not believe in Christ. And you know, when we understand this, it's important for us to realize that God is the one who draws people to himself. God draws people to himself. If you are here and you are a follower of Christ and you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have that faith in Jesus Christ because God drew you to himself and allowed you to have faith in him. In John chapter 6, 44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It might be that today God is drawing you. You know, what is the solution to this greatest problem? The sin of unbelief. What's the solution to the greatest problem, the sin of unbelief? The solution is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ And I think it's no coincidence that the end of the Gospel of Mark deals with this because these are the first words that Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark. So we'll go all the way back to the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God. And what does Jesus say? What is the gospel he proclaims? What are the words he say? The first recorded words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The solution to the greatest problem, which is the sin of unbelief, the solution is the message of Jesus Christ, to repent and believe in the gospel. And it might be that right now, God is calling you to repent and believe in the gospel. It might be that today is the day that God is calling you to repent and believe in the gospel. And if that's the case, then I want to pray for you right now. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, if you are calling some who are here to repentance and faith. God, I pray that you would help them in this moment. 
submit to the call of God on their life. And if you are here and you are responding to God who's calling you right now, he's calling you to repent and believe in the gospel. If that's you, I want to encourage you right now to tell the Lord, Lord, I am repenting of my sin. Tell God, God, I am repenting of my sin. And Lord, if there are some who are here who you are calling to faith and repentance, God, I pray that you would help them right now to believe in you. And if you're here and God is calling you to repent and believe in the gospel, that I would encourage you right now to ask God, God, would you help me believe in Jesus Christ? Would you help me have faith that Jesus Christ has paid for my sin on the cross? God, would you help me believe that I have salvation because of Jesus Christ dying for my sin? And if you are here, and God is calling you right now to repent and believe in the gospel, I would encourage you right now to tell God, thank you. That right now you would say, God, thank you that you are calling me. Thank you that you are helping me to repent of my sin. Thank you that you are helping me to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord God and Savior from my sin. God, thank you for loving me that much. Father, whoever it is you're working in right now, God, I pray that you'd help them, that this would be an incredible day for them as they're responding to the call of the gospel to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I'm asking that today would be the beginning of what is an incredible transformation that you would bring about in their life. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Now, if that is you, and today God is calling you to repent and believe in the gospel, I just wanna encourage you, please, let us know. Let me know. And the way that you can let me know is through the tool of the Connect card. You fill out your information on the front. On the back it says, my decision. And the first box says, today I received Christ as my Lord and Savior for the first time. The next box says, I, I'm rededicating my life. I'm reaffirming my life. If that's you, will you please let us know? Whether you're here in the worship center on the Modesto campus or you're with us online, you can use the Connect card. And you can let us know that you're making a decision. We would love to know that you're making a decision. In addition to that, we want to pray for you right after the gathering. In this room right here, it says the altar room. We have a team that is going to be ready. They're ready for you. And come with whoever you, whoever you came with, come with them. And come allow our team to pray for you. If you're with us online, please reach out to Pastor Brandon Peterson and our online campus team. We want to pray for you. We want to thank God for the work of how he's calling you to repent and believe in the gospel. Now, for all of us, I would say this. 
The Gospel of Mark, we've finished the Gospel of Mark together as a church family. But the Gospel of Mark is not done. Because the Gospel goes with us. And wherever we go, we take the Gospel with us. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to see yourself as one who holds the torch of the Gospel the fire of the flame of the gospel. And everywhere you go, the gospel goes with you, that you might be a torchbearer for the good news. And who knows, God just might use you in his plan to, to call somebody to repent and believe in the gospel. Let's stand together. Father God, Lord, thank you for an incredible time to be together this morning. Thank you for those who are making decisions for faith in Christ to repent and believe. God, thank you for the opportunity to spend the summer in the Gospel of Mark. And Lord, would you help us to walk with the Gospel wherever we go. That we might continue to become the church that you want us to be. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's family said. Amen.